Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Dani Fidel, who is the Campaigns Manager at the Human Rights Law Centre. And we will be speaking with him shortly. There has been a dramatic increase in support for a Charter of Human Rights compared to before the COVID-19 pandemic. And it is quite fitting that we speak to Dani, given that we are in Stage 4 lockdown and there has been a lot of very, very interesting things happening with the pandemic. And the word interesting is an understatement. Basically... Um, there's been a lot of violation of human rights as well with refugees and um, people in prison about the fact that they have not received proper care and also the health orders have been extremely draconian. So we'll be speaking with um, with Dani as well. And, if, and of course, we do need to understand that there is a virus out there, but we do need to make a balance. So we'll talk to him about that. And then after that, we will be speaking with with um, Dylan Voller, who is a First Nations um, ex-prisoner and ex-inmate, and he's also an activist and, and a wonderful activist at, at that. He was imprisoned in Dondale in um, the Northern Territory, and listeners may recall that we have we provided extensive coverage about Dylan's situation. This interview will be a bit different in that we will be speaking with him about a, about high court about the high court and the high court finds media outlets are responsible for facebook comments in the Dylan Voller defamation case so speaking to Danny shortly and we'll be going to a short announcement before we do that 20 Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside, I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcasts. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. A lot of the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what, that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app or listen live each Monday at midday. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we have Dani on the line from the Human Rights Law Centre. Um, hello, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for inviting me. It's lovely to have you. And I believe you're the campaign's manager, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Good on you. Uh, you know, I've just been studying the recent media release put out by the Human Rights Law Centre. 
And mm-hmm. new data reveals that there's been a dramatic increase in support for a charter of human rights compared to before the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you talk to us about that and talk a little bit about the work of the Human Rights Law Centre in regards to this matter? Sure thing. Thanks so much for that. Uh, The Human Rights Law Centre is involved in putting forward human rights in our community because there are so many things that Australia as a country has committed to uphold in terms of human rights, um, but we don't always see them become a reality when it comes to the laws, policies and services uh, that government provides uh, for the community. And so what we did was we did a survey of uh, 1,000 people in the community, an opinion poll, um, and what we found was that compared to doing the same poll two years ago before the COVID-19 pandemic, we saw a huge increase in support for the Charter of Human Rights in the community. So, for example, um, we found 83% of people believe there should be a document that sets out in clear language the rights and responsibilities that everyone has here in Australia. That's a huge increase from the 66% who agreed to that view in 2019. We also found in this survey that 74% agree that a Charter of Human Rights would help people and communities to make sure the government does the right thing. And that compares to 56% two years earlier. So what we're seeing is these huge increases in support for greater human rights in our laws uh, and greater support for those uh, rights to apply for everyone in our society. And I think the COVID-19 pandemic has been a very clear thing that people have realised when they've seen that many of those human rights that people thought we had actually a bit more fragile than they imagined. And that's why they need to see that greater legislation to protect those rights. So let's talk about those rights, and, and I understand that there's a pandemic, but can you perhaps give listeners an example? What does this all mean in practice in regards to the, to the health orders? Sure. Sure. So um, I think one really important example when it comes to uh, human rights is that human rights are about a lot, of hum- a lot of human rights. It's not just one human right. We're talking about the whole package that we need to see in the heart of our laws. So the right to health, the right to life... Um, the right to education, um, uh, the right to dignified treatment, uh, freedom of movement. They're all human rights that need to be at the heart of our laws. And so when you have like a massive pandemic like we're seeing right now, what you want is a situation where all those human rights are being considered uh, by our governments uh, and uh, the most... uh, benefit is done when government decisions are being made when it comes to those health orders to make sure that they're properly balancing those rights against each other if there is any conflict between the two and making sure there's any limitations on human rights that it's the least uh, amount of limitations necessary to do the job so if you're trying to protect uh, human life you want the least restrictions on freedom of movement in order to make sure you uphold that right to life and can you comment on the, the government response? What what do you see as... Sorry, I'll just be a bit clearer. Can you comment on, on the way that the government response has has affected human rights or has, has it affected it at all? Yeah, I think that's a really important point because what we saw and what this poll demonstrates is that many people are seeing things um, that they thought would have been okay and they're realising that actually not so much. And so let's look at aged care. Last year during um, the second wave of COVID-19 in Victoria, we saw massive outbreaks of COVID-19 aged care centres and uh, and they had terrible consequences in terms of seriously ill uh, aged care residents and death. Um, what we found there was that those aged care residents, they had very little enforceable rights um, in that situation. So was there a proper COVID-19 plan? Was there the full provision of health care that was needed? Uh, was there the full dignified treatment that those people uh, uh, deserved, uh, considering the, um, the situation they were in? They didn't, they didn't have access to those rights if they felt that government action or inaction um, uh, fell short when it came to those sorts of basic human rights. And so one of the things that's interesting about that situation is that the Aged Care Royal Commission this year said that there should be enforceable legal rights to aged care residents uh, to be able to enforce the right to dignified treatment, to health care and to life um, if those uh, standards fall short uh, in their situation. Absolutely. And coupled with that is also the inadequacy of the, the actual system and also the way that the quarantine facilities are not purpose-built and that actually made 
the the outbreaks happen in aged care, isn't it? Well, I think the important thing about that is making sure you have human rights at the heart of all the decision-making because at the end of the day, human rights are something which benefit everyone. And when you don't have those human rights entrenched in our laws, that means that some people fall between the cracks, marginalised communities are left behind, and those communities and those people who do fall between the cracks, they don't have um, the sort of ability to enforce those rights and take action to ensure um, that those rights are no longer being violated. So when it comes to the quarantine system, when it comes to aged care, when it comes to the vaccine rollout, um, um, all manner of elements of our uh, response to COVID-19, we need to ensure that human rights are at the heart of those uh, responses because, you know, I'm not trying to say that um, that our response to uh, the pandemic has been terrible. It's more a case of it could be better. And when it is better, um, that everyone benefits as a result. Look, it's actually very true. So in terms of legalities and legal protections, what would a National Charter of Human Rights look like? So um, a National Charter of Human Rights would look pretty similar to what we already see in Victoria, Queensland and ACT, where they have charters of rights in operation. And what it has is a legislated set of human rights, the right to health, the right to education, the right to dignified treatment, the right to life, and so on and so forth, placed at the heart of all government uh, laws, policies, and services. So the first thing is when the government's making a decision or making a new uh, policy, they need to be considering human rights when they're um, formulating that policy and and, and putting it out there in the world. And if um, the government decision or policy or service falls short of those human rights, people in the community can take action to enforce those rights. And we've seen that happen in Victoria, Queensland and the ACT, where people have been able to take action uh, when uh, uh, there's been shortfalls in human rights um, being enacted by the state governments there. We want something like that on a national level too, because there are federal things like aged care, um, which are a federal responsibility, and people should have the right to take action if their rights are being violated. And with the, the pandemic... Um, I'm wondering uh, the state of emergency. I mean, wouldn't the state of emergency prevent the charter from coming through? Well, well, I think that's the important thing about this. Um, You want to ensure that um, no matter the situation, there are human rights at the heart of that decision-making. So, for example, um, if you're declaring a state of emergency, why is that um, emergency uh, being declared? It's being declared in the case of COVID-19 in order to preserve uh, life and health. Now, those are human rights that they're trying to preserve, but obviously they're not the only human rights in question. You want to ensure that when you are making dramatic um, decisions or or, uh, dramatic uh, uh, policies, um, that human rights are still there because at the end of the day... um, uh, People deserve to have the rights to uh, to life and to health and to all the other uh, various human rights. Um, they don't switch off. It's actually about making sure um, that we improve uh, the decisions that are being made, the policies and the services that are coming out, by making sure you put human rights at the heart of it. You know, Danny, I'll, I'll tell you the reason, one of the one of the main reasons why I invited you onto the show mm. is. Because, and I know this is not in the media release, and you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, but I Mm. think it's an extremely important question. And Mm. it's in regards, putting aside um, conspiracy theories and and anti-vaxxers, because we don't want to talk about that on this show. But Mm. I just wanted to ask you, in terms of a COVID vaccine, you would have seen all the coverage on the media and what the governments are wanting to do in regards to creating a vaccine passport and actually locking people out of society that don't have mm. vaccines who, and they may not be allowed to go into restaurants and cafes. There is talk of it. Mm. Given that there is a pandemic, um, would you say that this would be a violation of, of freedom? I think the important thing to bear in mind in this is that what you want is the principles and values of human rights at the heart of decisions that are being made. So let me talk, let's talk through vaccines uh, in a bit more detail because I think it's actually 
vaccines go back a couple of steps. One of the problems we've got is a vaccine rollout where um, we're already starting to see a situation where marginalised communities are not seeing the same levels of vaccination as other parts of our community. Right. And why is that? Um, the reason for that is because we're in a situation where uh, a lot of the decisions being made are kind of one-size-fits-all. Um, what we want is making sure people are placed front and centre of decision-making. And so when you do that with um, putting human rights at the heart of decision-making uh, through a charter of rights, you improve those, uh, those decisions. So when it comes to uh, decisions like vaccine passports and the like, would, we, would you need that in order to uh, protect life and health if you get um, uh, the vaccination rollout uh, in a more equitable and comprehensive um, uh, way uh, earlier in the piece? Now, I don't no, know the answers to those questions. Um, oh. uh, I don't know the answers to those questions, um, but what I do know is we need to be making sure human rights are placed at the heart of things like um, vaccinations, um, things like uh, the government's uh, response uh, to outbreaks in uh, uh, marginalised communities uh, in places like aged care. Um, when you do that, um, you not only uh, improve uh, the situation uh, for those communities, you also uh, uh, reduce the chances of needing to be taking uh, other actions further down the track. But that's what I mean. Sorry, Janie. So to, to following on from that point... My point, my question is in regards... To, you've answered it, but I'd like to go a little bit further, if that's OK. Mm -hmm. Whether someone is vaccinated or not is not the issue here. What it, what it comes down to here is, why does a vaccine need to be policed? Why is it, for example, that the Premier of New South Wales the other day said that under the authority, that, that people of authority can actually stop you in the street and say, are you vaccinated? And mm. if that person isn't vaccinated, they're not allowed to. They're not allowed to um, go into cafes or restaurants or pubs. This is well, something that's being looked at here. Yeah, well, I think it boils down to going into the detail of like why is this being done. Um, Correct. You have to remember. Yeah, like I think I think that's the I think that's the critical element here. Like, why is it being done? Is it being done? Um, uh, uh, in for the right to health and the, and the right to life uh, or other factors at play. Once you go into the detail, you, you then figure out um, what the um, what the benefits of that decision are when it comes to human rights and the shortfalls. Because um, the thing that when it comes to human rights is where uh, human rights do need to um, uh, be uh, restricted. They only should be restricted um, the least amount possible uh, for the purpose that you're trying to do. So if you're trying to preserve life and health, you restrict human rights for only the, the smallest, smallest amount of restriction possible in order to achieve um, those aims. So you need to look into the detail of that. And that, that's um, looking into um, the health advice, uh, uh, for example, uh, in order to work that out. Absolutely. And it is difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, there, there really hasn't been a lot of really good messaging, has there? Well, I think that's the issue, isn't it? Um, uh, we need to actually have a clearer sense of how those human rights considerations are being are being made in uh, these decisions because uh, it's not me saying whether a decision is good or bad. It's actually about saying, are human rights at the heart of that decision? And if human rights are not at the heart of that decision, how could that decision have been improved by placing human rights at the heart of it? It'll be really interesting to see as a test case what could happen if if people are locked out of society, whether they can actually seek legal advice on this matter? I think it's about looking at... Uh, this is a, a rapidly evolving situation. Uh, and as we've learned in these last 18 months, changes happen very quickly um, uh, in, uh, uh, with this pandemic. So I think it's about um, looking at that rapidly evolving situation and what is uh, fit for purpose today, what is fit for purpose next week? What is fit for purpose next month? And what is fit for purpose next year? And that, and that sort of a constantly changing uh, situation means there needs to be like that regular um, uh, checking of making sure that the measures that are being taken are appropriate for uh, for preserving life and health, uh, uh, but also are proportionate to uh, what's needed for the situation. And if there are restrictions on other human rights, that the least restrictions are being made in order to achieve those aims. Absolutely, and I suppose we need to look at also our refugee, our detainees in, in detention for refugees and, and prisoners as well. 
Well, I think the, the thing that to remember is that everyone has the right to uh, health, everyone has the right to life, everyone has the right to dignified treatment. Um, human rights are, are universal. Everyone uh, is entitled to that. It's very interesting. It's a very complicated matter, isn't it, Dani? Because, you know, sometimes these, these things can clash. Well, um, I think the thing that's worth mentioning is that uh, two years ago, could we imagine um, um, how, how you know, that we would have been in the middle of a major pandemic? And I think that's the thing. Uh, we're in a situation uh, which we haven't, as, as a society, experienced uh, in our lifetimes, and therefore we need to be making sure that our decision-making uh, uh, has all the uh, benefits of human rights at the heart of it so that those decisions are as good as they can be. Indeed, and, and I'm hoping that they put in the charter of this charter that there needs to be a, a health response, not a police response. Well, um, that's the thing about a charter of human rights. You, you place all the human rights there, the right to health, the right to uh, dignified treatment, the right to education, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, all those rights, they're, like they're, uh, they're, they all need, need to be um, placed there uh, because everyone is entitled to uh, the right to health, uh, the right to dignified treatment, and so on and so yeah. forth. Just one last question, Dani, and thank you so much for coming on. I've enjoyed you. your company today. Um, so in recent years, Australian Federal Police have raided journalists for doing their job and mm. major scandals have exposed how people in aged care facilities have been treated and people with disabilities have missed out on the services they need. Mm. Um, can, can you comment on how the Australian Charter of Human Rights would help to prevent the violations such as these? You've answered the yeah. question in, in part, but I was wondering if you could expand on that and how can yeah, you understand those human rights? Absolutely, because what we don't have um, in our country is proper protection of freedom of expression. So press freedom is what we're talking about here. We don't have uh, the sort of protection that journalists have in other countries. And so as a result, you can have um, uh, those sorts of uh, horrible uh, things happen to journalists two years ago uh, for, uh, for doing their job. Uh, what we need is making sure that when it comes to government decisions, um, uh, that we have human rights at the heart of it, because if you have at the heart of it the right of freedom of expression and freedom of the press, um, would we be seeing that sort of action being taken against journalists who are doing nothing more than their jobs? Has that happened already? Well, that, well, that's the, well, that's the point. We're seeing um, uh, uh, those sorts of actions against uh, journalists, um, uh, against whistleblowers, um, because we do not have uh, proper legislative protection for, the, for human rights like the freedom of expression. Uh, we need to place those protections uh, at the heart of our laws so that journalists acting in the, uh, uh, in the public interest uh, do not uh, face... Uh, the sort of uh, problems that we've seen in the last few years. Absolutely. And I think that's uh, another a topic for another interview, but that is very relevant, isn't it, to the Charter of Human Rights? Absolutely. It's worth mentioning that Australia is the only Western liberal democracy not to have one. Um, so... Uh, so that is something which is we need to change. Like we, you know, we shouldn't be in a situation where we don't have those human rights at the heart of our laws, and that's one of the reasons why I'm involved at uh, the Human Rights Law Centre in this campaign, and why, we, thankfully, we're seeing more and more support in uh, the campaign um, because they're seeing that there's a need to put those laws at the heart of um, <coughs> the decisions that are being made and the services being provided by our governments. How embarrassing that Australia is the only country that doesn't have that. Yeah, I think I think I think it's a real disappointment. Um, um, but the good news is this po the poll that we did showed that more and more people are calling for it, and that's why we've seen more people jump on our website, charterofrights.org.au, to get involved in the campaign uh, to make that call so that we no longer uh, do have that embarrassment. And can you just tell us the the website for the Human Rights Law Centre, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, the Charter of Rights campaign is at charterofrights.org.au and there you can find out more about that opinion poll um, uh, as well as uh, find out more about the campaign and how to get involved. Joni, thank you so much for coming onto the program. It's been a pleasure. And, Absolute pleasure. Um, Thanks so much. 
Yeah, and hope, hopefully we can catch up with you soon. Thanks a lot. Look forward to it. Thank you. Take care. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas. It gives me hope seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed! Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 Victoria, to keep us safe, we know what to do. There are only five reasons to leave home. Shopping for food and supplies that you need. Exercise, both within five kilometres of your home or as close to home as possible. Care and caregiving. Authorised work or education if you can't do it from home. Getting vaccinated as soon as you're eligible. Masks are mandatory indoors and outdoors. And if you have any symptoms, get tested. For the latest updates, go to coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government Melbourne, a 3CR supporter. A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. A 3CR supporter. Kafiyas are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafiyas and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafiyas to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping content, it's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter, at 3CR, and Instagram, at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855am. Keep in touch, 3cr.org.au. CR Community Radio, giving the voice to community since 1976. I can hear the storm And I can't 
Maritime Union of Australia is pleased to announce the Struggles That Made Us poster design prize. With a five grand first prize, the MUA is calling for submissions of a poster or artwork that addresses or is inspired by the struggles, events or historical figures amongst Australian maritime workers. The winning design will be launched on May Day 2022 and featured in a special May Day edition of Overland magazine. So get amongst it, people. Jump online and search for MUA Design Prize to enter. The Maritime Union of Australia is a proud 3CR supporter. back with the Doing Time show. Now, unfortunately, Dylan has been unable to make this afternoon, but he will come back on another show very soon in the near future to do our interview together. However, stay tuned to the Doing Time show. Um, It's approximately 4.34 because I'm going to be reading out some really interesting articles. And, you know, I think we're living and breathing pandemic at the moment and... You know, we're in stage four lockdown in Victoria and we don't even know when it's going to end. So it's important to really have a look at some of this stuff um, quite specifically. Before I do that, though, that song that you just heard was by Emma Donovan and I believe it was called Dawn. All mistakes are mine and I'll correct that song if I've got it wrong. It's approximately 4.35 and I'm going to be reading to you an article now by Sydney Criminal Lawyers, which is... uh, really great collective that puts out excellent articles in New South Wales. And this article is entitled, Will COVID, Post pa- Will COVID Passports Be Yet Another Expensive Government Failure? I'll just start reading that in a sec. But, um, yeah, the Doing Time show has, off- has been instrumental, really, in having sections of the show dedicated to articles in, pla- in case 
people don't have the internet. And so this article was dated the 10th of the 9th, 2021, and it's by Sonia Hickey. COVID phone. As the New South Wales government ramps up its plans to incorporate COVID vaccination status into the QR check-in via the services New South Wales app, security experts have found major security flaws in the federal government vaccination certificates, which potentially puts the entire scheme at risk. The protections against editing the PDF vaccination certificate can be bypassed in seconds say the technical experts, because the government is relying on high school grade permissions password. This means if you know what you're doing, the certificate can be easily overwritten. Of course, this puts the validity of the certificates in question, and it would create big problems for the government, granting extra freedoms to people who are vaccinated. This is not the first time security bugs have been identified in the system. South Australian Senator Rex Patrick claimed he forged a COVID-19 vaccination certificate in just 15 minutes last month, alerting authorities to the issues which the federal government claims have since been resolved. Appalling track record. The Australian federal government has nothing short of an appalling record when it comes to national, national X projects. There were massive failings in my health record, and also the 2016 online census, the protections for both of which were bypassed dozens of times by hackers. And just last year, the National COVID Safe app proved to be a dismal, expensive, taxpayer-funded failure with a litany of issues and limited uptake. Self-inflicted skills shortage. Numerous Australian government departments, including the Australian Defence Force, have been infiltrated by cyber attacks and cyber security experts have long warned that our nation has a chronic shortage of encryption experts. A significant reason for that shortage is Australia's ban on the education of encryption without a government-issued licence. It can be confidently stated that the prohibition is one of the most illogical, futile and counterproductive moves made by any government regarding technology, given that such technologies are learned and taught around the world without the need for government-issued licences. Indeed, the potential of being criminally prosecuted for not fully complying with the strict rules in Australia has contributed to those who might otherwise work to protect our nation, leaving for other countries or not coming here from other nations to learn, teach and or practise their skills. Being overseas means these skilled people are in a better position to both infiltrate and, and escape prosecution for illegally hacking Australian systems. To many, the prohibition exemplifies the Australian government's fear-based, knee-jerk and ill-thought-out decision-making when it comes to technological matters. Australia ignores international guidelines. Australia has also been criticised for ignoring interim guidance for developing vaccination certificates released by the World Health Organization that recommended using digit digital signatures to verify authenticity, such as the EU model does. By ignoring these guidelines, Australia runs the risk of not having full global operability. That is, it would be more compatible with systems in other countries. Only time will tell what the implications for international travelers are. What about New South Wales? So would the New South Wales state-based system be any more secure? A trial of the QR check-in and linked vaccination status is expected to be rolled out later this year. Despite the fact that the federal government, which is developing vaccination passports for international travel, decided against introducing the passport domestically, the Berenjikulin government is moving ahead anyway, all but ignoring the issues around personal privacy confidentiality and discrimination. Under the New South Wales system, police and businesses will have the responsibility for checking vaccination status. But given the potential for forgeries, there is a risk in being able to tell the difference between the real deal and the fakes. Meanwhile, the demand for fake vaccine passports is on the rise globally, as other countries, including Canada, the UK and France, implement similar systems. The French system is by far the harshest.
Under the legislation, those who enter a range of venues without a COVID pass, which is issued once a person is fully vaccinated or a negative COVID test will face six months in prison and a $10,000, $17,000 fine. Business owners who fail to check the status of patrons will face a one-year prison sentence and a $45,000 fine. The very high cost of freedom. What's interesting is the change that has occurred in the collective Australian psyche over the past 18 months after living with on and off lockdowns, restricted movement, curfews and border closures. When the federal government's COVID Safe app was introduced in April last year, many people were very concerned about having their movements tracked and handing over their personal information. Similarly, QR check-ins in New South Wales were met with resistance, particularly after warnings issued by the federal government's Australian Signals Directorate issued warnings about their use. But now it seems many people have simply accepted that in future their vaccination status, which has until now been private health information will be public knowledge. Many Australians have also simply accepted the fact that New South Wales government's policies dictate that regaining freedoms will be contingent on being vaccinated at least with one dose of the three government-endorsed COVID vaccinations. Australians clearly want their lives back and the return to some sense of normalcy. But as time goes on, they are being expected to pay an increasingly heavy price for it. And that's the end of that article. I thought that uh, listeners might actually find that find that interesting. It's approximately 4.42. I've actually got a very short, another really short article that I want to read out. It's a media release and it's entitled Advocates Fear People with Disabilities Set for COVID Lockdown Limbo as Race to Reopen Leaves Them Behind. And this media release has been issued by People with Disability Australia. Um, as race reopens, sorry, as race to reopen leaves them behind. Disability advocates are concerned that people with disability are set to languish in lockdown when the states and their territories open up again, unless the federal government amps up COVID vaccination programs for clinically vulnerable people. As lockdown states begin to share their roadmaps out of lockdown, people with disabilities are preparing to remain isolated at home because the vaccine rollout is still not meeting the needs of populations at higher risk from COVID infection. People with Disability Australia President Samantha Connor. The federal government's failure to meet its vaccination commitments for people with disability is set to create a two-tier reopening with disabled people at the bottom, affecting their ability to return to work, see their loved ones, access safe support services and participate in society like everyone else. People with disability make up close to 20% of the population. And while many of us were supposed to be vaccinated in the first phase of the vaccine rollout, our vaccination rates are still abysmal. If we open up without giving people with disability and the people who support them sufficient vaccinations, we risk making disabled people, second-class citizens, stuck at home, or worse still, endangering their lives through lack of support or increased exposure to COVID-19. What happens to our lives if we're unable to access life-saving medical services? What happens to our jobs if employers want people back at work in offices? What happens to our opportunities if we can't meet with people, see family and friends, and be out and about like everyone else? And how do people with disability get the support they need if not enough disability workers are vaccinated? Not only will they be stuck at home, but they won't be able to get the COVID-safe services they need or they'll have to get services from unvaccinated workers. So, not only will we be creating a lockdown limbo for people with disability, we'll be putting the lives of people with disability at risk if we move to reopen without all disabled persons and support workers having had every chance to be vaccinated against COVID-19. The government needs to level the playing field and work more effectively with the states and territories on vaccination blitzes for people with disability and disability support workers. So opening up doesn't put people with disability in danger and distress. 
Late last month, the government confirmed that over 50% of people with disability eligible under Phase 1A of the rollout had received two vaccine doses. Moreover, disability advocates say this group represents only a fraction of people with disability who are clinically vulnerable. Also, it's now evident that some people with disability, especially people with compromised immune systems, need three or more jabs to reach adequate antibody levels to fight off the virus. People with disability are getting antibody tests and finding out that double doses of the vaccine aren't giving them enough protection. However, the system is knocking them back for extra jabs, which means they won't be protected and will have to remain in lockdown. PWDA has written to the Prime Minister asking for a plan that includes vaccination targets for people with disability and support workers, a clear strategy and resources to reach the targets, including a dedicated and accessible booking service, don't hold your breath, reporting progress against vaccination targets weekly on a public-facing website, a commitment to reaching the vaccination targets for people with disabilities and support workers before ending lockdowns. People with disabilities need a much more effective vaccination response from the federal government, and we need it now. And that's the end of that media release. Do you really reckon that ScoMo is going to do that? I don't know. I'm glad we're nearing the end of our show. It's approximately 4.47, and I think we'll just go and have a short announcement. 3CR. It's time to stand by us. Following the success of our free inaugural event last year, BiPlus Collective Australia proudly presents the second Stand By Us Forum to celebrate BiPlus Visibility Day. All events are free and all bar one happen online. Starting with the opening First Nations keynote on the morning of Thursday 23rd September, Celebrate Bisexuality Day, there will be fun events like a BiPlus Games Meetup, artsy bi events including the biconic performances and panel discussions on themes such as queering relationships for those who are bi and polyamorous. To check out the program, including the Safe Space Guidelines, visit our webpage standbyus.com. That's S-T-A-N-D-B-I-U-S dot com. It's time to stand by us. A 3CR supporter. and not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419-8377. And you're back with the Doing Time show. It's approximately 4.49. And this radio broadcast has primarily been about looking at not just human rights, but also looking at marginalised communities. And, of course, we all know that people in prison, particularly women in prison, are marginalised communities as well. And, you know, my heart goes out to, to people in prison and how they're coping with the pandemic and also for refugees and asylum seekers as well and, and to people who are homeless too. A shout-out to them because how, how on earth are people that are homeless, how are they meant to isolate? We do need a lot more housing um, for people that are homeless. It's approximately 4.50, and, and also um, a cheerio also to the Aboriginal communities, um, particularly in New South Wales and regional areas all over Australia, um, and, and how they're coping with the pandemic as well. Just going to read out a very quick article, and we'll be interviewing, interviewing Dylan, I'm hoping, in the next couple of weeks in more detail about this topic. 
Um, and Dylan is a, is a First Nations um, activist who, who was imprisoned, and I, I, we interviewed him about the appalling, tragic covering, coverage that was on Four Corners about how he was placed in the spit hood and how young Aboriginal youth in detention were treated back then. So this is um, from ABC News. Dylan Voller is suing several media outlets over allegedly defamatory comments about him that were published on Facebook. And I believe that the High Court has dismissed an appeal by some of Australia's biggest media outlets, including the Sydney Morning Herald and The Australian, finding they are the publishers of third-party comments on their Facebook pages. And the key points here are Dylan Voller's defamation case centres on comments made by third parties on Facebook in response to news articles. The High Court rules media outlets are considered the publishers of the comments and therefore responsible for any defamatory content. The case could have far-reaching implications for how the media manages social media platforms. Former Northern Territory detainee Dylan Voller wants to sue the companies in the New South Wales Supreme Court over alleged defamatory comments on their Facebook pages. But the case had been stalled by a dispute over whether the outlets were the publishers of the material. The High Court found that by running the Facebook pages, the media groups participated in communicating any defamatory material posted by third parties and were therefore responsible for the comments. Dylan Voller cleared a continued defamation case and he wants to sue several media outlets over defamatory comments about him that were published on Facebook. And the decision cleared the way for Mr Voller to continue his defamation case against some of Australia's biggest media companies. Mr Voller's treatment as a detainee sparked a Royal Commission into the Northern Territory's youth detention system after images of him shackled to a chair wearing a spit hood were revealed by the ABC's Four Corners program. He launched the defamation action in the New South Wales Supreme Court against groups including the Sydney Morning Herald the Australian and Sky News, over third-party comments about him on their Facebook pages. But the case was sidetracked when the debate arose about whether the media companies were the publishers of the comments in question. The High Court rejected the argument that to be a publisher, an outlet must know of the relevant defamatory matter and intend to convey it. The court found that by creating a public Facebook page and posting content, the outlets have facilitated encouraged and thereby assisted the publication of comments from third-party Facebook users, and they were, therefore, publishers of those comments. Dylan Voller um, gave evidence, and Mr Voller giving evidence to the Royal Commission into Youth Detention in the Northern Territory in 2017. Voller's lawyers say there has not yet been a ruling on whether or not the comments are defamatory, and the publishers do have other defences they can rely upon. But lawyers for Mr Voller said their client was pleased with today's outcome and has a sense of vindication. And today was about a couple of weeks ago. And lastly, in a statement, um, Voller's legal team also welcomed the ruling for its wider implications. This is a historic step forward in achieved justice for Dylan and also in protecting individuals, especially those who are in a vulnerable position from being the subject of unmitigated Social media mob attacks, the statement said. This decision put responsibility where it should be, on media companies with huge resources to monitor public comments in circumstances where they know there is a strong likelihood of an individual being defamed. Lawyers for the media groups had, argue, had argued in the High Court that they might have facilitated the process, but they were not the publishers of the material. To be a publisher, one must intend to communicate the matter complained of, their submission said. But lawyers for Mr Voller told the High Court that under the law, communication for a defamatory comment did not have to be done intentionally. Any degree of participation in that process of communication, however minor, makes the participant a publisher, the lawyer's submission said. One of the difficulties for the media groups at the time was that Facebook did not allow them to turn off the comments function. That has now changed. Mr Voller had not suggested any of the media outlets failed to remove the comments once they became aware of them. 
High Court finds media outlets are responsible for Facebook comments in Dylan Bova defamation case. And that was by High Court reporter Elizabeth Byrne, ABC News. And it's approximately 4.55 and it's goodbye from Marissa. And I'm hoping that listeners enjoyed these articles. Um, they were very pertinent to today's show and we'll be interviewing um, Dylan, I'm hoping, pretty soon and I'm hoping that he's okay. So it's goodbye from Marissa. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Do and Time Show. I'd like to issue a very special thank you to our guests today and that was um, Danie and also, well, it was um, Dylan, but I'll thank him for wanting to appear anyway. And it's goodbye from Marissa, and I'm saying that a third time, third time lucky. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show, and it's bye and stay strong. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.